Welcome to Second Nature Podcasts. My name is Mike Brown, and this is my story. I'm not a doctor, psychiatrist, psychologist, or counselor. I'm just a guy with a relentless curiosity into all things human nature. I in no way, shape, or form believe myself to be an expert on any one topic. I would classify myself as a generalist. I like to look at things from an overall perspective, paying attention to how one may relate to the other. While portraying my thoughts through my story, will I be right? Who knows? Will I be wrong? Possibly. All I know for certain is that this is my story. We all have one. This is episode two, the beginning of the end. It was December 25th, 2013. It had been a few days of my usual Christmas bender I would go on, taking advantage of my break from hockey and school. No commitments meant that I could really get after it. Friends would come back to town and it's the holidays, so there is no shortage of willing participants to belly up to a bar stool with. The aftermath of this always leaving me in fine form for Christmas. When it came time for the extended family to get together, it was always a struggle to pull myself together, not because I didn't want to go or see them. I love my family, and like everyone out there, we have our issues, but overall, I am fortunate to have these people in my life. What left me struggling to pull myself together was A, the previous days of hell I put myself through, and B, my emotional and mental state. Knowing that when we all got together, I was going to have to flat out lie when asked how am I doing? How was hockey going? How was school? I would need to put on a brave face and say everything was going great. It's not that I couldn't open up about surface level issues, but at the same time, I was hiding what was really going on deep down, and it was horrible. I was in pain. I had come to hate hockey, the situation I had created for myself, with all my partying and lack of commitment, was affecting the game that I had once loved so much. My constant drinking to excess and drug use was making me very ill, and not just in the form of hangovers, but mentally. It made me not want to practice, not want to work out, and most nights not want to play. Some days would be so bad that I couldn't get out of bed. Making up some excuse to not go to practice, this weighed on me constantly, and the guilt I felt about the whole situation caused me great anxiety. I knew the reason I had these issues was due to my drinking, but I couldn't stop. Multiple times I told myself, that's it, you're done. But that addicted voice in my head would say, no you're not. I knew that I was going to be ridiculed by my teammates when I went back to the rink the next day, and I would be in constant fear of this, going over it in my head again and again. But yet I would continue to do it. These were my own issues, but I would also think about and compare myself to others. I couldn't understand how or why some of the guys on the team could go out like I did, but then function the next day. Maybe they felt the same way, but they were just mentally tougher? Were they raised better than I was? Is there something that I am missing? What's wrong with me? Maybe it was because they didn't black out or make fools of themselves and weren't in constant fear of getting a text message telling them what they did the night prior. These were all questions I had, but never asked. Maybe they were struggling with the same issues that I was. 
but it was still seen as weak at the time we were going through it, so we never talked about it. We can never know what someone else is going through. So instead, when I would see them at the rink or school, I would be the first one to say something self-deprecating, ridicule myself to get it out of the way, be the pincushion for jokes to be stuck to. This is how I dealt with it. I put on a facade, or that brave face, embracing the stupidity my life had become, suppressing my feelings of guilt, shame, and embarrassment, continuing the cycle of personal abuse. I did this not only with my teammates, but also with my family. Now to bring it back to Christmas Day, 2013. This was the beginning of the end. We had one side of the extended family over to my parents' house for dinner. I had continued drinking Christmas Eve and day as well. It was the holidays, but also so I could survive, so I could at least stomach a little bit of turkey. Meanwhile, it was no problem putting back numerous rum and cokes. Later in the evening, some texts started flying around with my friends about going to the outdoor rink to play some shinny. A friend of mine's mom had access to their community hall, so we could leave the lights on later than usual and play well into the night. The first thing I would have seen in this was an opportunity, the ability to keep drinking. My family members on this side would always enjoy a few drinks, but never to the extent that I did, wanted, or needed to. So I grabbed a ride with my friend and we headed to the rink. There was maybe eight to 10 of us playing a little and drinking a lot. Everything was great. I made it through the family dinner without any hiccups. Now I was with my pals, messing around on the ice and keeping the drinks flowing. As you know, motor functions go out the window after even a few drinks. By now, I was on day five or six of a bender and well into it by this point in the night. I had the puck and I was skating down the left-hand boards. Someone came to check me, so I attempted to pivot and go the other direction. The blade of my right toe caught in the ice as I crossed over with my left foot. As I stepped over, my momentum moved in the opposite direction. The toe of my right skate stayed locked in and I fell backwards. I laughed and thought nothing of it. I went to stand up, but I couldn't. I couldn't get my right leg under me to support any weight. To be honest, I could barely stand up in the first place. My friends were laughing, so was I. They thought I was joking around and they were firing pucks at me yelling, get up. But again, I tried and I just couldn't. My friend's brother-in-law, who was by far the most responsible one out there, and also a physiotherapist, came over and asked if I was okay. At this point, I was a little worried. He took my skate off and said, there's something wrong here. It might be broken. So I got helped up and we went back to my friend's house. We went back to a house that I had spent countless hours at as a kid. He had his own backyard rink that we would mess around on all day and night whenever we could. By now it was at least 1 a.m. His mother was up and trying to figure out what the hell was going on. We called and woke up my brother, who is a physician. My mom had to drive him down to take a look at my ankle. All of this was going on, and all I could think about was another drink. Would someone make me another rum and coke, I pleaded. My brother arrives and takes one look at it and says it's most likely broken, 
and we need to go to the hospital. I try to shut that down. Just give me another drink. I'll be fine, and we can go in the morning if it's not better. My brother calls me an idiot, which was more than warranted, and we went to the hospital. To make a long story short, I ended up breaking my fibula right at the base where it connects to the ankle and I needed surgery to make sure that it healed properly by putting a plate and four screws in it. My brother sat with me well into the early morning while we waited for x-rays and whatnot. My mother dropped us off and then joined a little later so my brother could go home. In the end, I had to wait two full days for them to fit me in for surgery and spent three nights in the hospital. All of this happened because I had to continue drinking. Merry Christmas to my family, especially my brother and mother. I see this is the beginning of the end because when I broke my leg, I didn't acknowledge it, but I knew I was done. I knew I would never play a competitive game of hockey again. After all the games I played, all the practices I skated through, my playing career would end with me being drunk on an outdoor rink. Looking back now, it is fitting, and I can't argue that this would be the foreseeable outcome. Why was it the end? Because I knew that the mental state I was in would not allow me to return. It was an easy way out. I wouldn't have to put in the work to get back on the ice. I knew that my substance abuse would continue, and the work it would take to get my ankle right and my body in shape would be challenging. Subconsciously, I had already made up my mind. I was going to take the easy route out and quit. This meant an end to all the issues I was having surrounding hockey. I would be free from all the torment. The competition between addiction and hockey was over. Addiction had won. At the time, it may have felt like a release. My drinking career always came first, and hockey just got in the way. Now with the latter removed, my addiction was free to grow even deeper roots and flourish. As I went about the rest of the semester, and technically being on the hockey team, while nursing my broken leg, I slowly disappeared from the rink and the team. In the beginning, I would go to practices, but that slowly stopped. I couldn't bring myself to go anymore, as there was no joy. It was gone. It was gone when I was playing, and especially when I wasn't. The relationship I had with the coach was also gone before that season even began. He had tried to make me quit in my exit interview at the end of the previous season. I probably should have. I knew what he was doing, but I returned out of spite. So when this happened and I disappeared, I knew he did not care. I knew it was better for the team if I wasn't around all the time, as I just brought my baggage with me. Even though I would try and hide it, negative energy surrounded me. I continued with my usual ways of schooling, doing the bare minimum to get by and pass courses. If one course became too much, I would drop it, not worrying about the cost, because I had four and a half years paid for through my Western Hockey League scholarship, having for the most part wasted three. When it came to signing up for the next semester's classes in the fall, I didn't. I knew that I was done with school and that I needed to try something different. All the while, my usual heavy drinking ways continued and only escalated. As I was provided more time, one of the worst things someone with addiction can be granted. I didn't officially quit hockey once the season was over. I was afraid to tell anyone, so I hung on, 
there was a new coach that came in to take over the program. This guy was different and would expect more from the team. Do you think I took the proper steps to rehab my ankle or to keep my body in shape? As we discussed, not even close. I held on to the thought of returning even though I knew I didn't have it in me. It's not easy to give up on something that has been such a major part of your life for 20 years. I battled with the idea of letting it go. I kept trying to tell myself I can come back. I'll start training next week, but that continues to get pushed back to the next and then the next. Soon enough, it was August and I still hadn't started training or told anyone. Finally, about two weeks before training camp was set to begin, I made the call. The new coach was not happy and I don't blame him for it. He did not understand what I was going through because I did not tell. I believe I said my heart just wasn't in it, which was true, but I didn't go into the details on what that consisted of. I didn't go into detail that I was miserable. My shame and embarrassment when sober was too much for me to handle, so I would constantly seek escape with alcohol and drugs. But the call was made after anxiously pacing around for days, going over all the negative thoughts and possibilities on how this interaction could go and how I was done with competitive hockey. Next, I had to tell my father, another tough thing for me to do. Why was it hard to tell my father? Because I knew I was going to disappoint him. He provided me the opportunity to play the game every step of the way. I knew that he loved the fact that I had become successful with it. I knew that he was proud that I played major junior and he enjoyed coming to the rink to watch me play. From my perspective, he was proud to have a son that was able to take the game to levels most can't. And I was now taking that away from him. I knew that he loved me for reasons more important and beyond that, but this was not something that I was only eliminating from my life, but also his. Another thing that weighed on me was that I was again ashamed and embarrassed for not taking full advantage of the opportunities I was presented with. And I knew that he saw this as well. But when I told him, he was supportive. I could tell he was saddened by the news, but he said I should do whatever I needed to. I had moved back home after that school year and I coasted along through life for the remainder of the summer. In early September, I went on a fishing trip with that same friend that I was out with that last night. His father and a buddy of his planned this big fishing trip every year to a remote lake only accessible by float plane. This lake is north of Norman Wells Northwest Territories. Since this was the first time I wasn't already into a hockey season, I was finally free to go after talking about it for years. It was an incredible trip cruising around an uninhabited lake on Zodiacs, catching 20-pound lake trout with the occasional behemoth around 40, doing nothing more than trolling with a five of diamonds lure, and of course, plenty of beers being the main source of fuel. What does this trip have to do with any of this? Well, one of the guys on this trip was on the board of a hockey organization I had played with growing up. He had learned that I played at a high level and they were looking for an assistant coach on their Bantam AAA teams. Coaching had always been something that I thought I could do. I always had opinions about how things should be run while playing, 
I now know how hard this is to deal with after gaining some coaching experience. So why not put these opinions to the test and see if I could make something out of it? Maybe I can use the mistakes I made to make sure that others don't do the same. Or since I did not make it as a player, maybe I can redeem myself and become a great coach. Or maybe hockey was the only thing I knew. I was a little hesitant at first, as I would be going back to the rink at least five days a week, giving up the free time that I had recently created. But I had nothing else going on, and in the back of my mind, I knew I needed some form of commitment, or else who knows what would happen to me. I agreed to go to a practice when we got back, meet the head coach, and try it out to see if it would be a good fit. When I stepped on the ice with those kids, I saw the fun they were having and the love they had for the game, and just the game itself. It took me back to when I was a kid on the community outdoor rink or in my friend's backyard, playing for hours, having some of the best times of my life. They were not yet tainted by all the bullshit and politics that come as you get into higher levels. These kids blew me away. Their puck skills and skating ability was incredible. They were trying things I couldn't even attempt the things they had seen on the highlight reels. YouTube had given them the ability to see an experiment. I knew I had found something. I could see the skills they had already possessed, but there is more to the game than just skill. I soon realized that they were lacking on the tactical side. Knowledge of basic systems, being and also playing as a team, hockey IQ, and the little things that were involved. I know what you might be thinking, after what I just explained of my last years of hockey, this is the guy who's gonna teach them what it's like to be a teammate, but I wasn't always the way I had become. So I started coaching, but also had to figure out what I was going to do to earn some money. I had just finished a summer gig building decks and fences. I was always working in some form of landscaping during the summers. And the last couple were focused more on woodworking, making me wonder if carpentry was a route I could go down. I was able to get a job on a framing crew. We mainly built multi-family duplexes, and it was a great learning experience. These guys work hard. 7.30 a.m. start, 6 p.m. finish. Weather was rarely a factor. In the winter, it was the freezing temperatures. In the summer, it was the heat. No matter what, these guys were at work. I was able to make an agreement with the bosses to leave around 3 or 3.30 each day that the team had practice or a game which was four out of five weekdays. As I said earlier, they don't mess around with time commitments at Bantam Hockey these days. The bosses were guys that had started out as laborers and put in the work to eventually go on to start their own crew and business. All they cared about was that you showed up fairly regularly and put in the effort while there. By fairly regularly, I mean nine out of 10 days. And I saw the path that they took as one I could possibly follow. I had always thought to myself I would be better off if I owned and ran my own business. I just wasn't sure what that would be yet. So I was busy working Monday to Friday with the occasional Saturday morning. Coaching consisted of three to four practices a week, two games, and throwing in a dryland session, making it six out of seven days. I was fully committed. I knew that to earn the player's respect, I had to show up. I can't just pick and choose when to go because of what works for me. I have to be there and it will take commitment. Of course there were days that I wasn't into it, but when I showed up, they reminded me why I was. 
working in coaching was filling my time. I wasn't able to waste weeknights in the pub as I would get home from coaching and be in bed by 8.30 or 9. But I would still go out on the weekends and battle through the hangovers at the rink. I would like it to be known that I never actively drank or used anything before I went to the rink on days that I coached. As the season went on and a few months passed framing, I started to build relationships with the bosses and guys on the crew. I caught a lot of flack from them. You quit school to do this? Man, go back to school. I wish I would have gone in the first place, a few of them would say. I was starting to see how tough this job was for everyone. Being able to keep up pace for 10 hours a day, five to six days a week. It's physically and mentally challenging. I have nothing but respect for the men and women who work in these professions. Since I was starting to really enjoy coaching, I too was wondering if I had made the right choice, but at the same time, possibly forgetting what had led me to making that choice. Everything was going reasonably well. My drinking was somewhat under control. I was earning decent money and feeling fulfilled with coaching. That was until the season ended, the coaching stopped, and I was provided with that dreadful enemy time. Now all I had to do was go to work, which consisted of longer days, since I wasn't leaving to coach. I was free on weekends to return to my substance abusing ways. I didn't have to wait until after coaching. I was free to start any time of the day. When I woke up, the easiest thing to do was get right back after it. And I could because there was no more time commitment. My drinking started to roll out of weekends and into weeknights. I began starting on Thursdays, knowing I could battle through Friday at work, then get right back on the horse again. But eventually no weekday was safe either, especially if I could lure someone into joining me to watch hockey, eat wings and have beers, which I would use as my excuse to drink. After a couple weeks, I was back in it, as deep or deeper than what followed me breaking my leg. The repeating cycle, go hard on the weekend, make it to work on Monday, feeling like death and an utterly useless person, getting by until I was able to drink again, constantly thinking about when that might be, mixing in one or two weeknights until the weekend rolled around and I could put the pedal down once more. This is what my life became. So what paid the price? It wasn't my addiction, it was my job. I started not showing up on Mondays because I couldn't. I was ill again, both physically and mentally. I was back at the same scenario I had found myself in with hockey, but this time was worse. I had reached a new level with my alcohol consumption and cocaine use, and it had all started to come crashing down. One weekend in particular did me in. I spent all Sunday either throwing up or having it come out the other end. I had drank myself into a full-on rejection of anything I tried to put into my body. This lasted into Monday, then Tuesday. I told my bosses I had caught some stomach bug, and I may have, but I knew exactly what was happening. I didn't go to work that week. I spent it at home on the couch. Even when my stomach came around, my mind never did. I couldn't get myself out of bed to go to work. The furthest distance I could travel was to the couch. I was living at home, but my parents were away for a while, so I had no one I needed to explain myself to. Depression had taken hold of me, all of the shame from what I was doing to myself made me want to hide. The longer it went on, the more my anxiety grew. Anxiety of going back to work and having to face questions and not knowing if I could physically do it. 
The thought of this crippled me. But of course, once Friday rolled around and I heard what my friends were up to, I had no problem getting up off that couch. When my parents did get home after about two weeks, I started fabricating excuses on why I wasn't going to work. Oh, the walls weren't ready. For reference, the walls are manufactured off-site and brought in sections for us to stand. It didn't take more than a couple days for my mother to soon catch on with what was really happening. Having dealt with some issues herself, she could see it right away. At this point, I had not gone to work for almost three weeks. It was springtime. I remember sitting on the deck with her and she asked me what was going on. I told her I was depressed and I feared going back to work. I was telling myself stories of all the possibilities that could happen if I did. Such stories include, they could call me on my bullshit and that I wasn't sick, I was just a drunk. The crew would have no respect for me and I would be outcast. They could tell me to get lost. You weren't around for three weeks. Why do we need you now? We talked about my drinking and I didn't have the courage to tell her that I was using cocaine at this point. This was the first time she brought up the idea of me seeking help, talking to someone about all my problems, possibly going to treatment. I listened, but I never gave it any thought. I was not ready to stop drinking. It was too much of my life. What would I do without it? Fear of the unknown. My addiction was grasping at anything to hold on. I also thought that I would be ruined if people found out I went to treatment. Who is going to let me coach their teenagers? Who is going to possibly hire me if they knew I was an alcoholic? I would be a liability, even though I would be sober and a hundred times more present and reliable. These were the lies I was telling myself. My addicted brain could not see things clearly. I thought I was better off not accepting what I had become and it was better for me to continue than have people find out, even though for the most part, everyone close to me already knew. Eventually, my mom talked me into going and speaking with someone. She swears by this, even though I cannot put any recollection to it. She says that I went a few times, and then I said I was continuing, but I actually wasn't. I put up a wall to block this from my memory. I was most likely being told things my addicted self did not want to hear, so I didn't let these ideas settle. I ended up going back to framing after about a month or so away. They welcomed me back. I never told them the truth. The bosses didn't question. They were understanding. One had his own issues with alcohol and drugs in the past, and I believe he knew exactly what happened, but he did not shame me for it. I tried to continue to show up, but I couldn't. In the end, I disappeared again, just like I did from the locker room. The cycle continued. I've never spoken to any of those guys since. If by chance any of them listen to this, which may be a far cry, I want them to know that I did enjoy my time working with them. I learned a lot and respect the hell out of what they do. I went back to working for a buddy landscaping and building fences that summer. I also decided that if I wanted to get serious about coaching, I should go back to school. Having that discussion with my mom helped me to come out of my depression slightly, but it did nothing to solve the overall problem. I continued to drink and abuse my body and mind, 
I dealt with the reoccurring hangovers and anxieties that came with it. I put on a brave face again and tried to be productive, as I knew that if I didn't try to fool those around me, then more bad and conversations would come. I would actually have to do something about my addiction, which I was not ready to do. I went back to school and another coaching season started with the same team, different head coach and group of players. I was still an assistant coach, but was able to take on a bigger role. My drinking continued and so did my guilt. The guilt was surrounding the fact that I was not giving everything I could to coaching. I was still showing up, hungover, doing my best to be present, but having to just try and hold myself together enough for the time I was at the rink. My guilt had turned into shame. I was ashamed that I kept repeating the cycles, even though I knew what was wrong. I knew I could be better and these kids deserved it, yet I could not stop. This coaching and school year came and went. I was caught in the same recurring cycles of abuse, depression, guilt, and shame. Not knowing where I was headed and just going through the motions, dreaming big, but doing nothing that could possibly get me on the proper path. That was until the winter semester January 2017 rolled around. By this time I was 26 years old. I was in my fifth year of school, maybe having completed three years worth of courses. The degree I was taking had switched from a diploma to a bachelor's. They gave us the option to switch if we wanted to, and I chose to go the bachelor's route. I was informed that I would lose credit for a few classes, but was unaware of the actual amount, and frankly in no headspace to really understand. I was running out of my Western Hockey League scholarship. I was living off what I made working in the summers and money I got from my grandparents. The money from them was originally meant to go to school tuition, but since I had it covered with the scholarship, I used it for living expenses. I was not living at home anymore. I was living with my oldest and best friend. My parents were paying the majority of my rent. From my perspective, looking at where I should have been in the social structure, comparing myself to friends and others. My life had become an embarrassment and I didn't know where to turn or what to do. So I just continued to self-sabotage and distract myself from it all. But something was about to change. With this new winter semester came a course called Wellness in the Student, from personal health to community action. The outline of this course is as follows. This course provides an introduction and overview to aspects of holistic health and wellness and highlights strategies for promoting well-being. Using a mix of theory and application, students will gain an understanding of individual well-being and the interconnectivity between individual well-being and the well-being of families and communities. Students will also explore community actions that impact health and well-being. From day one, the professor, who came in hot, every class, cheery and upbeat, delivered hit after hit of information that literally encapsulated my entire life up until this point. We covered depression and anxiety, what caused it and ways we can deal with it. We covered what a healthy relationship is with family, friends and romantic interests. We talked about the effects drugs and alcohol can have on the present and the future body and mind. How substance abuse affects all those relationships and can lead to depression and anxiety. I learned about the effects diet and exercise has on our mental health. And I started to put it together as to why I went off the deep end and 
the important role that physical aspect of hockey had on my mental health. I was waiting for something, hoping for a sign, and this class was it. Once the coaching season ended, of course, I started down my path of destruction. I was at its trailhead, the trailhead that would lead me into that cave of darkness. Simply stemming from recently required free time that my addiction could take hold of. But this time was different. This time I was able to recognize it. This time I wasn't going to let it take me there. I was going to fight tooth and nail, not let myself fall back into that cave. This is where I began my journey and many attempts to end my cycle of abuse once and for all.